Welcome to STEM Fatal, your women in science history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Emlyn Gremlin, Dr. Emlyn Gremlin. I'll get it right one time. Yeah. Um, and I'm your other co-host, Dr. Emma Dilemma. And I think I just heard a cat knocking something over. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Oh, well. I mean, yeah. how many cats you have right now, the likelihood is very high. Six. Still have six, but three are set to be adopted. Oh, so good. Any day now. Oh, so yeah. cute. Three very lucky I people. Mm-hmm. They're just the cuddliest bunch. They're all great. I'm if very any jealous. of you listeners live in Detroit, Michigan, and want a kitten, I have a bunch of great ones. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> that would be amazing if that's how we got them adopted. Uh, I know. I've. I mean, I don't know if I've ever heard of any of our listeners living in Michigan, but you know, we don't hear from listeners very often. We can meet up. Yes. I want to be your friend. (laughs) Uh, Text me my number. No, uh, email. (laughs) We have an email. My address (laughs) and my social security. Yeah. Just stop by. Okay. All right, Emlyn. So you've told me this lady roller coaster of emotions while you're writing the story. It was a roller coaster of emotions. I, I'm in love with this woman. Like, I think I'm leaving my husband for this woman. (laughs) Goodbye, Andres. Yeah, goodbye, Andres. Andres, get out. (laughs) Exactly. There's a new woman in town. Yeah. I mean, she's not alive anymore, right? No, it would be (laughs) questionable. It would be a weird relationship. Yeah, I'm not into that. I'm going to be open-minded here. For the record, not into that. Okay, right. Let the record for the show. Record. For the it's record, on the record. Now. On the record, yes. Great. Okay, Great. so let's but let's talk about my new love. Yes, I would love to hear about your love. So her name is Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Oh, oh, I know her. Yeah, she's the lady that opened uh, the Everglades Park. Yeah, like founded it. Uh, yeah, yeah, she helped great. found it. Yes. Nice. Awesome. Okay, this is great. Yes. I'm excited. Okay. So, yeah, so she, um, well, we'll get into it more later, but she is more of a science right. communicator and advocate, and she's not a scientist, but I think. Oh, cool. No, still good. Equally still as important. Yes. And also, like, we still, every Every time I do research for this pod, I go, what is science and what makes someone a scientist? I know. You seem to have a lot of existential (laughs) questions. I'm always like, oh, is this lady really a scientist? And then I'm just like, Emma, you know what? She fits in somehow, some way. There's no strict definition of scientist or STEM or whatever, right? So... Yeah, especially when you talk about, you know, earlier, the the farther back in history, the more, like, what is science? You went outside, we're going to count it. Yeah, I mean, there's so many 
historical scientists are ladies on historical science lists that, you know, from like thousands of years ago where it's just like this lady saw a star in the sky (laughs) and I'm just like, you know, it's hard to compare that. (laughs) But at the time, like that was, you know, what anyway, not to, you know, bring those women down or something no i mean the same that was like, the same thing so with the different. male scientists it was just yeah exactly science has changed it's so different. much that what we consider science yeah. now is a little different but yeah totally but anyway, she's definitely a science yeah. advocate she's more of a writer cool but her excited. life is this is awesome cuckoo bananas and i love <gasps> it oh my gosh okay cool all right let's, let's do it let's begin So Marjorie Stoneman was born on April 7th, 1890, in Minneapolis, Mm. Minnesota. She was the only child of Frankie Bryant. I have here Stonewall, but I'm pretty sure it's Stoneman. I think they have the same last name. Yeah, yeah. And her mother was Florence Lillian Trefethen, who was a concert Mm. pianist. Oh, wow. Fancy. And uh, according to her autobiography, one of her earliest memories was her father reading the Song of Hiawatha, in which a tree gives its life in order to provide Hiawatha with wood for a canoe. And she says that during this passage, she burst into tears. Oh, wow. Uh, So at the age of six, her parents separated after her father had a series of failed entrepreneurial adventures. Oh, that's sad. I wonder what those were. Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure. Who knows? Her mother moved her to her family home, where her mother, aunt, and grandparents consistently spoke ill of her father, which caused Marjorie a lot of dismay and caused her to suffer night terrors. Whoa. That's pretty major. Yeah, I think, well, it's probably a combination of the trauma of... Your parents separating and then also having your dad being talked down about all the time. I wonder if they were saying things like he's a monster. And so as a little kid, you know, yeah, she's just imagining him being a literal monster. Yeah, maybe. Or something. So during this time, her mother also was committed to a mental sanitarium several times. Oh, Marjorie says that her tenuous upbringing during this time made her a, quote, skeptic and dissenter for the rest of her life. Mm, Interesting. Yes, yes, yes. So Marjorie, during this time, found a lot of peace and solace in reading and eventually in writing. When she was 16, she started contributing to the most popular children's publication of the day, known as the St. Nicholas Magazine. Okay. And St. Nicholas Magazine was also the first publisher of other notable writers during this time, such as F. Scott Fitzgerald, Rachel Carson, and William Faulkner. Mm, wow. Okay. I see some connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in 1907, at the age of 17, she won a prize from the Boston Herald for a short story. Aw, that's cool. But also during this time, she was as she was getting a little more success in her writing, her mother's mental health was deteriorating, and Mar- Marjorie was saddled with more responsibilities, such as finally family finances and things like that, at an early age. Okay, interesting. 
So even during this tumultuous time, Marjorie left to go to Wesley College in Massachusetts to study English. And this was funded by her grandmother and aunt who had saved up a bunch of money for her to go to college. Aw. What? Do you know what they did? Or Um, I forget. It it said somewhere, (laughs) but I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So while there, she took a class on elocution. And joined the first suffrage suffrage club. Hmm. Okay. And she also was elected as the class orator. That's these are such like old fashioned. I know. <laughs> Elocution and oration. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice. And then during her senior year, while she was visiting home, her mother showed up with a lump on her breast. Just oh, never a good no. sign. And Marjorie arranged for her to have surgery, but the cancer had already metastasized. So Marjorie's mother died shortly after she graduated from Wesley. Wow. So pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. And was she, so she wasn't in touch with her father at all? No. Since they divorced, she didn't see her father. Okay. Um, She will, but it will have been a long time. Interesting. Gotcha. Foreshadowing. Interesting. (laughs) Okay. So after graduation, she floated around a bit, trying to trying on various jobs mm-hmm. that she didn't really like, mm-hmm. you know, as you do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Been there. And in 1914, she met Kenneth Douglas. Oh. Who I'm guessing she said, bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. <laughs> no dates for uh, you, JK. No dates for you. Well, sh- so she was blown away by his manners and that he gave her attention, oh. which seems like a really low bar, but... <laughs> manners and <laughs> you know, attention. Okay. Yeah. He said, uh, how but do they you married do, within three months. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. Wait. Yeah. Three months. Sorry. I was Yeah. I was so they were married within up. three months. That's pretty fast. Yeah, and he was 30 years older than her. <gasps> Ugh. <laughs> this <laughs> Which, is... you know, was more common at the time, whether that's yeah, good or that's bad. that's true, but I'm still, like, wondering how long this could even last, given the age difference, given... Uh-huh, there's a, there's a lot of thing going against their mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he was also a newspaper editor. Oh, okay, nice. Or was he? <laughs> Was he a con man? <laughs> a newspaper? Turns out con he was man. a huge con artist. <gasps> what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Kenneth. He was Douglas. not a newspaper editor. <gasps> you you got it. Oh my gosh. I mean And apparently he was already married to another woman. <gasps> but those manners of his all just a I ruse, know, I guess. so polite. It was all a ruse. He said, oh, dearest. And she said, marry me <laughs> without any background investigations into his background, I guess. Yeah. No background checks needed. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Already married. Nevertheless, she remained faithful to him what? Um, while he spent six months in jail for passing a bad check. Oh, wow. That's like... I didn't know you could go to jail for that. It was a really bad check. <laughs> Super bad. <laughs> Just a, a, a dirty, nasty uh-huh. check. Yeah. Um, it had it was covered in poison, the check. It was covered in she was trying he was trying to yeah, poison yeah. someone. Only after her uncle convinced her 
that she should leave the marriage that she actually left. Oh, that's apparently good. okay. And so when she did, she went to Florida to reunite with her father. Oh, okay. Uh, and his new wife, uh, Lily Eleanor Shine, nice. who was a great great granddaughter of Thomas Jefferson, apparently. Oh, okay. That's cool, I guess. Apparently, her and her like stepmother, or is that would that be a stepmother? Yeah, stepmother got along really well, and they were like great friends. So that's nice. Um, but she hadn't seen her father since her parents' divorce, and this was when she was like twenty five. So it was probably like ten years or something. Tell me more. So now she's in Florida. Mm-hmm. I want you to visualize her. So she is five feet two inches, a hundred pounds. Oh, immaculately dressed in pearls, of course, with a giant floppy straw hat and gloves. Oh, my God. What a cool. She enjoyed drinking scotch and sherry. (laughs) Sherry. Sherry is (laughs) such a like old. That's such a stereotypical kind of old lady. Like, (laughs) I know. I love it. I love that. Her friend and neighbor said that. Quote, she would come up and have a sherry, and then I would walk her home, and then she'd walk me back, and we would have another sherry. What fun she was. (laughs) That's hilarious. So at this time, her father was the first publisher of a newspaper that Mm -hmm. would later become the Miami Herald. Oh, okay. It's like the predecessor of the Miami Herald. Nice. In South Florida at this time, there were less than 5,000 people there. Wow, really? And it was pretty much this, like, glorified railroad terminal in a swamp. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, full of alligators? Not yet. Yeah. Probably not yet full of those giant pythons, right? That, no, those are the all invasive. Burmese pythons? Yeah. No, not yet. <laughs> oh, man. That, that's scary to me. I mean, I don't know how deadly those snakes are, but... They're still just kind of, like, so big. I don't know. They're so big. They'll eat your children and your dogs, for sure. (gasps) For sure. Oh, boy. I didn't know that they Like, one bite. (gasps) You can, like, see them in their belly. Are they... They're... So they just bite and... No, they, like, suffocate and then just swallow whole. Oh. Oh, right. So they're probably... They do the whole jaw dislocation thing, like... oh. Yeah, I think so. I just made a noise that went along with me, like, trying to dislocate my jaw and pretending something <laughs> big, which nobody can see. So, <laughs> anyway. I wish I could. So, those I weren't there, but... Lots of alligators. Lots of other snakes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, at this time, Marjorie joined the newspaper in 1915, and she began as a society columnist writing about tea parties and society events. Uh-huh. But apparently with only 5,000 people in the neighborhood, news was pretty slow. Oh, and okay. so she admits to making up some of her stories. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, she quote, uh, somebody would say, "Who's that Mrs. TY Ra- Washrag you've got in your column?" And I would say, "Oh, you know, I don't think she's been here very long." Oh my god. Uh, so she's just making up she was just um, so but apparently bored, people yeah. found this out and made fun of her, and Aww. so she got in trouble with her father, and he said she had to check her facts better. Yeah. Just good advice. I mean, we don't want her to turn into the con man her husband was, you know? No. No. But she did get a break 
instead of just doing kind of fluff society pieces, Mm -hmm. she got her first substantial story assignment in 1916 to interview the first woman from Miami to join the U.S. Navy Reserve. Oh, wow. However, once the, the woman didn't show up for the interview. Okay. And so Marjorie herself decided that she should join the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> she was just what? Did she go to the Navy station and like she's waiting for this lady and she's like, you know what? I could just be this lady. Like she's not here. I'll just I could take be the her first. place. <laughs> I think legitimately, yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. You know? But she, this didn't last long. Okay. Uh, she didn't like being in the Navy. Oh, okay. As she was not a morning person. <laughs> okay. And she kept correcting it. her superior's grammar. Whoa, well, all those elocution classes. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why she wanted to join the Navy. She just saw I, the boats. I don't know. She's a dreamer, I think. She just has... <sighs> You know, these big grand ideas and just wants to, you know, she's spontaneous. She doesn't like investigate things before doing them. She just does them. Yeah, she seems very spontaneous. Okay, love it. (laughs) Not a morning person. (laughs) Not a morning person. So she requested a discharge and joined the American Red Cross in Paris during the uh, World War I. Okay. Okay. I mean... Still, like, kind of have to be a morning person for that, right? Like, a all day person. <laughs> I mean, it sounds maybe like a lot it was, of work. <laughs> maybe she was in the night shift. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Okay. You're right. You know, maybe. I'm not sure. She's in the afternoon to evening shift. Okay. Yes. So, after the war, she returned to Miami and gained popularity for her daily column called The Galley, Mm. where she discussed all sorts of things. Um, So her column supported urban planning, women's suffrage, civil rights, better sanitation, and opposed prohibition and foreign trade tariffs. And she focused on local Florida issues. Oh, okay. Nice. And after the death of a 22-year-old who had been whipped to death in a labor <gasps> camp. What? Sorry, this is going quickly. Uh, she wrote a ballad called Martin Tabert of North Dakota is Walking Florida Now. Wow. So essentially, um, the story of this 22-year-old is he hopped on a train and didn't have money for the t- the train ticket. So he went to jail. And then while in jail, they put him in a labor camp because they could do that and there he was like whipped to death jeez is this the part where you said you started crying while researching the story (laughs) great no it's elsewhere but it is part of the roller coaster of emotions it it is part of the roller coaster of emotions in this story yeah this is a down part of the roller coaster this is a down part of the roller coaster Mm -hmm. so this ballad that she wrote was printed in the miami herald and was read aloud during session uh, at the florida legislator wow oh my gosh and the legislator legislature passed a ban a law banning the leasing of convicts to labor camps in large part due to her writing okay wow that's really great made a lot of difference yeah so in her autobiography she wrote i think that's the most the single most important thing i was was ever able to accomplish as a result of something i've written oh my gosh 
Yeah, writers can have a big impact. They really mm-hmm. do. But she also made some choices that she would later regret with this um Mag- with the the newspaper. Uh-oh. She wrote stories about the inevitable development of the Miami area. Right. And she supplemented her income by writing copy advertisements praising the development of South Florida. Mm. She oh, I guess if she's probably a conservationist, she would mm-hmm. regret. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Marjorie quit the newspaper in 1923 and became a freelance writer, Mm. writing mostly fiction. Right. Like her early articles. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So the the people and animals of the Everglades often served as subjects in her writing. Oh, cool. And she wrote some nonfiction stories, like one called Wings, which was addressing the slaughter of the Everglades' waiting birds for their feathers. Aww. I never knew about that. Yep. 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 She also got involved in the Miami theater during this time. Ooh. So in collaboration with William Muir, uh, she authored a play called Storm Warnings, which was loosely based on the life of mobster Al Capone. Oh, what? I'm so confused. <laughs> I thought this was going to be about storms and nature or something. No, no, no. mob. <laughs> okay. And apparently some of Al Capone's henchmen came to the theater <gasps> for one of the plays or for the play for one night. Mm-hmm. And she says, which added an extra tingle for the audience that night. <laughs> But apparently there were no confrontations, oh, so they okay. just That's kind of good. enjoyed the play. Right. They just were curious about her portrayal of their boss. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, not there to stir up any trouble. No. That's good. Yes. She was also a book review editor for the Miami Herald mm-hmm. and then an editor for the University of Miami Press. Wow. And during this time, she wrote four novels and several nonfiction books about things such as Florida bird watching and Aww. an autobiography of a biologist named David Fairchild. Okay, cool. So she must have been pretty active then in the nature community. Like, given mm-hmm. her what she was writing about, it sounds like she was already, you know, out in nature a lot and getting to know people working in research in the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the 1920s, she joined the board of the Everglades Tropical National Park Committee. So this was which was led by this guy, Ernest Coe. Uh, which was dedicated to the idea of making the Everglades into a national park. So kind of since the 20s, she had started to be more involved in seeing the Everglades as a beautiful place that should be conserved. Yeah, I'm sure she had a lot of stories. I mean, yeah, it sounds like she was out in nature all the time, probably met so many different people with her writing career. You know, I bet she just saw so many crazy things. <laughs> she said she didn't even really like wa- like ex- being in nature in the Everglades. She oh, said it really? was too buggy. She just wanted to conserve it. <laughs> she just knew the value of it being conserved. Yeah. That's really yeah. funny. <laughs> she didn't yeah. like it. Oh, that's really funny. Everyone's like, what are you fighting for? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And in the 30s, she was commissioned to write a pamphlet arguing for 
a botanical garden in South Florida. And this campaign ended up being so successful that it helped create what's called the Fairchild Garden, which is a garden that's still in existence today, whose mission is to maintain biodiversity. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. I want to go there. Yeah. Have you ever been there? I have not. I've not been to South Florida. I've only been to North Florida. Yeah. UF, I was just there and... There's just all these ponds in the middle of campus filled with alligators. It's great. <gasps> what? It's great. In the middle of campus. Yeah. Are there like walls? No. <gasps> Do they just roam campus? I think they stick to their ponds a bit, mostly. I mean, I know that during the di- during the winter, they pretty much don't attack people ever, right? Like, when it's colder uh-huh. out, they just kind of stay in the ponds and chill. Yeah, yeah. Still, I'm just, maybe I'm a baby, but I would just feel like <laughs> be terrified constantly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I only saw small ones when I was right, there. Right, so. okay. Yeah, that makes maybe sense. They mo- maybe they shuffle the big ones out. Weird. I mean, that's like the turtle pond, but <laughs> ratcheted up a few <laughs> danger notches. <laughs> yeah. It's like if the turtle pond was just um, alligator snapping turtles. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Scary. Okay. So in the 1940s, Marjorie was approached by a publisher to contribute to this Rivers of America series Mm. of books that were being written. Nice. Um, And they wanted her to write a book about the Miami River. However, Marjorie was not impressed by the Miami River. Oh, by the river, okay. <laughs> By the river. Oh, is it gross? Like really brown? I don't know. I don't know. What, she was just like, eh, I could write about this. But as she was researching, she became fascinated more and more by the Everglades. Gotcha. Even more so than she already was. And she convinced the publisher to allow her to focus on the Everglades instead. Okay, cool. And so she spent five years researching the ecology and history of the Everglades and South Florida, Mm -hmm. though there was currently little information out there at the time. And she named the book The Everglades River of Grass. Oh, nice. And it was published in 1947 and sold out within, like, the first month. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. It was a bestseller. I wonder how, I mean, sold out in the Florida area or how many... I wonder how I many know. books they published. It's sold like 500,000 copies <gasps> altogether, I what? think. What? People just want to know about Florida. People gotta have it. Do you think that this book caused a lot of tourism then to Florida and then and thus development in the Miami area? Mm, I don't know. Well, Probably not development in the Miami area, okay. but maybe tourism. Yeah. So the first line of her book says, there are no other Everglades in the world. Wow. Um, And that quote is the line that welcomes visitors to the Everglades National Park when you get there. Yeah. And Marjorie described the Everglades as an ecosystem surrounding a river worthy of protection, inescapably Mm -hmm. connected to South Florida's people and cultures. Aw, that's great. And in her book, she described the imminent destruction of this novel ecosystem during the time in her final chapter called The Eleventh Hour. Wow. So kind of similar to how Rachel Carson's book galvanized people against DDT. Yeah. 
Marjorie's book galvanized people to protect the Everglades and was described as a, quote, groundbreaking call to action that made citizens and politicians take notice. It remains the definitive reference for the plight of the Everglades. What was what were people doing in the Everglades? Were they just developing them or fishing or? It was a lot of development. So they were you know, filling in the land, Uh um, dredging the land, diverting water so that it was causing the Everglades to dry up. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Pouring chemicals and and wastewater into the Everglades. Wow. All those good things. Mm -hmm. Lots of development. All our favorite. So a lot of dredging and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So in part due to the work of the Everglades Tropical National Park Committee, which she was on, as well as due to her book, the Everglades was declared a national park in 1947. Wow. How many, do you know how many other national parks we had at that time? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. But it was the first park created for the purpose of protecting a threatened ecological system. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess other parks were more, um, what's the word? Isolated? Yeah, isolated, or they weren't already being destroyed, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. And so people were like, oh, okay, this is something we should get ahead of a little bit. Yeah, a little more proactive versus reactionary. Yeah, there's like a huge you know, beautiful landmark or something where they're like, people should not destroy this, you know, way ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So despite the fact that the Everglades was declared a national park, the threats remained even after the park was created. Yeah, I bet. So in the 60s, the Everglades were in imminent danger of being completely destroyed due to rampant real estate and agricultural development. Oh, interesting. Okay. And in response to this, Douglas founded the Friends of the Everglades group at the age of 79. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And she did this to protest the construction specifically of a jet port (laughs) in the big Cypress region of the Everglades. Oh, my gosh. People just don't care about nature. (laughs) No. So she toured Florida giving hundreds of talks, denouncing this project, and gained 3,000 members within three years. Wow. That's great. And she justified her involvement in this, saying, It is a women's business to be interested in the environment. It's an extended mm-hmm. form of housekeeping. <laughs> I don't know how I feel okay. about that, but it's an interesting perspective. Yeah, like the nature is her house and she's tending yeah. to it, I guess. <laughs> yes, keeping it clean, I guess. Yeah, but nowadays we're... Um, we say it's everyone's house and we all tend house. <laughs> Things are more equal. So developers and backers of this, I say jetpack, uh-huh. but I think I mean jetport. Yeah. Project. Jetpack. Um, <laughs> they called her a, quote, damn butterfly chaser. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so threatening. So threatening. But in the end, Richard Nixon scraped funding for the project due to efforts such as hers and the Friends of the Everglades group. Yeah. Good. However, this wasn't the end of the fight for the Everglades. Oh. Douglas (laughs) focused... 
It just keeps going. Like, it's a national park, and it's still, like, under constant threat. Really? I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, I so guess... The Everglades... Yeah, okay. Sorry. Go on, yeah. ...had been almost completely decimated, <gasps> even after this jet port was not funded. Okay. Douglas focused on restoring the Everglades, and she said, quote, Conservation is now a dead word. You can't conserve what you haven't got. Oh... That's sad. I know. And she says that the biggest culprits were what she called, quote, big sugar. Oh, interesting. Um, Yep. You know, like all the sugar cane growers. Yeah. And they were polluting Lake Okeechobee with chemicals, human waste, and straight up garbage. (gasps) Ugh. That's horrible. And then the other culprit was the Army Corps of Engineers. Hmm who were constructing more than 1,400 miles of canals, diverting water from the Everglades, causing them to shrink. Oh, my gosh. And is this diverting water to industrial sites or to, like, housing? Part of it was too big sugar. Okay, yeah. Um, And then I think probably others was to um, make land available for development and stuff like that. Interesting. So the Central and South Florida Project, which was run by former Army Corps of Engineer members, proposed to deliver more water to the shrinking Everglades. And so Douglas gave them her approval for this project. But in practice, they aided sugarcane farmers' water needs and refused to release water to the Everglades, causing much of the Everglades National Park to become unrecognizable. So like upstream of the park, they're diverting the water. So it's drying up the Everglades. Yeah, of course. And Doug, uh, Douglas says, what a liar I turned out to be. <laughs> she suggests the motivation behind all the digging and diversion that the Army Corps of Engineers were doing as, quote, their mommies obviously never let them play with mud pies. So now they take it out on us by playing with cement. Wow, that's pretty eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> she just um, got away with words. She's got away with words. Mm -hmm. So during a speech where she was addressing the harmful practices of the Army Corps, a colonel in the military who was in attendance dropped his pen. And so, you know, he went to he bent over to go pick it up. And then Douglas stopped her speech and addressed him directly, saying, Colonel, you can crawl under the table and hide, but you can't get away from me. (laughs) Okay, this is why I love this going after him. Yeah, she's great. She's extremely sassy. Yeah, I love it. Too <sighs> many con men in her life, you know. I know she's not. Gonna, she's not going to take that shit. Too many guys lying to her. She's had mm-hmm. enough. She's eighties. She's had enough. <laughs> she's one hundred and twenty-seven. She's not going <laughs> to take it anymore. Okay, so in nineteen forty-eight, Douglas also served on the Coconut Grove Slum Clearance Committee, which was a biracial committee to try to improve conditions in Coconut Grove Mm. community. Oh. So there she learned that the racially segregated part of Coconut Grove had neither running water nor sewers. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. While all the sugar cane people, (laughs) all the freaking corn syrup people (laughs) have tons of water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Douglas, along with her friend Elizabeth uh, Virick, pa- helped pass a law requiring all homes in Miami to have toilets and bathtubs. 
And they set up a, like an interest-free loan system to help black residents pay for this plumbing wow. so that it wasn't – so they yeah. could make these improvements, but it wasn't quite as a burdensome. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty major. So Marjorie was really like an advocate for all peoples, for women's right to vote, mm-hmm. for migrant farm workers, and for the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah. She also <laughs> – okay, so she convinced – the Dade County School Board that the Biscayne, I think that's how you pronounce it, Nature Center needed a building of its own and should no longer be housed in hot dog stands. <laughs> what? <laughs> so apparently the Nature Center uh-huh. at this time was housed in hot dog stands. How many? I don't know. <laughs> Like, was it just a hot dog stand with snake displays? A hot dog stand? With, like, I don't know. Like, did they still work? serve hot dogs? Did you have to go into the hot dog stand? Are these like big wooden hot dog stands? Or, I like, don't those think so. I'm thinking of like the see. New York one, like yeah. the New York City cart ones. That is a puzzle. I would love to see <laughs> photos of this old nature center if they exist. <laughs> Or is that an exaggeration? Like, were they in literal hot dog stands? I think they were literally in housed in hot dog stands. God. The nature center? That doesn't even make sense. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but she did eventually, she convinced them, and eventually the Department of Education endowed a $1.8 million for the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Nature Center. Uh, so it was a great improvement yeah, okay. over the hot dog stands. <laughs> now they're in legit buildings. <laughs> <laughs> so she also actively supported the passage of various environmental legislators like right. the Coastal Barrier Resources Act, which provided effective management of barrier islands and beaches by limiting development. And she also... <laughs> As late as 1990, when she was blind and facing health issues, wow. uh, she, along with the Friends of the Everglades, worked to pass the Dade County Referendum Environmental Preservation Plan, which gave $90 million <gasps> to protect endangered land in Dade County. And this is, she's 100 years old, right? Wasn't yes. she born in like 1890? 1890. Oh she's 100 years gosh. old and blind. <gasps> yes. Wow. I hope that when we're 100, we're still doing cool things. I hope so, too. <laughs> okay, cool. so I, I want to give you, like, I didn't know where to put some of this stuff in, but it's just a little bit more to get a flair of her personality. Yeah. So, similar to Douglas's mother, uh, she struggled with mental health, as a lot of people do. She yeah. had a series of nervous breakdowns during her life. Oh. Um, one was after her mother's death. One was during her sham marriage. And one was after her father's death. I mean, yeah. seems I mean, all those reasonable. Those are big events, you know. Big events. Yeah. But then most of the time, I think she was relatively fine. She doesn't talk too much about her, like, mental health, but she did struggle with it a bit. Okay. Um, She also – she never learned to drive, never had a car. Whoa. Never had air conditioning, an electric stove, or a dishwasher. What? Interesting. And she was not your typical nice old lady. 
as you probably could tell yeah, from some of her like yeah. quotes. Uh, <laughs> she once said, quote, people can't be rude to me, this poor little old lady, but I can be rude to them, poor darlings, and nobody can stop me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. That's funny. She, like, she once knew. told. Yeah. That's funny. She she once told a representative of the Army Corps of en- Engineers, quote, I knew your father and he would be so ashamed of you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, only 5,000 people in the town when she first moved there, right? <laughs> exactly. She only knew every one of them. That's funny. She also, like, what, like, the farmers and developers did not like her. So at one yeah, meeting, she was booed and jeered at. And her response was just like, boo louder. <laughs> Oh and then gosh. she started her speech. She's so sassy. I know. I know. Yeah. Um. Okay. So she was given many awards for her environmental activism. So the Florida Department of Environmental Protection named their headquarters after her. Okay. Though she said that she would have rather that they just protect the Everglades. Uh, <laughs> like stop the name with of building all this after nonsense. Her. Yeah. Yeah. The National Parks Conservation Association named an award after her, and Queen Elizabeth II made a visit to see her for her 101st birthday. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So she was pretty world famous then. Uh, mm-hmm. And at her insistence for her birthday, 100,000 trees were planted. Oh, wow. That's a lot of trees. I know. Where were they planted? All over the world? I don't know. I'm or... guessing all over Florida. Okay. That's a lot of freaking trees. Yeah. <laughs> Good. In 1993, nice. at the age of 103, President Bill Clinton awarded Douglas the Presidential Medal of Freedom, citing, wow. quote, Mar- Marjorie Stoneham Douglas personifies passionate commitment. Aww. Her crusade to preserve and restore the Everglades has enhanced our nation's respect for our precious environment, yeah. reminded all of us of nature's delicate balance. Grateful Americans honor the grandmother of the glades by following her splendid example and safeguarding America's beauty and splendor for generations to come. That's great. Aww. So Douglas died at the age of 108. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. On May 14th, 1998. Go girl. She did it. She did it. She did the damn thing. Wow. So her ashes were scattered over the 1.3 million acres of the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas wilderness area in the Everglades National Park. Nice. Good. And John Rothschild, who was her friend and who helped Mm. write her autobiography, said that death was the only thing that could, quote, shut her up. And that the, quote, silence was terrible. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, it's going to end on maybe a downer note. Oh, jeez. Okay. So. Hit me with it. Okay, so in 1990, a high school in Parkland, Florida, oh, was right. named after her. Uh, the year of her 100th birthday. Yeah. So this is the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School. Yeah. So this is the Parkland High School of the 2018 mass shooting, which killed 17 people and injured 17 others, Mm -hmm. making it the deadliest high school shooting in U.S. history. So if you look up Marjorie Stoneham Douglas, you'll probably mostly see stuff about the shooting. Um, So it's 
overshadowed some of her contributions. But in a way, the students of Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School are actually really holding true to her legacy. Right. Because they've become leaders and activists for gun control. Yeah, so they formed the Never Again MSD group, which stands for Marjorie Stoneham Douglas, um, have planned rallies, including the March for Our Lives, and remain committed to gun control reform. And then some of them were featured on the cover of Time in March 2018. Wow. So in March 2018, the Florida legislator passed a bill titled the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School Public Safety Act. It raised the minimum age for buying firearms to 21, established waiting periods and background checks, provided a program for the arming of some teachers and the hiring of school police, Mm -hmm. banned bump stocks, and barred potentially violent or mentally unhealthy people arrested under certain laws from possessing guns. Mm -hmm. And it allocated $400 million to this. Wow. The governor signed this bill into law on March 9th, and he said, quote, To the students of Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School, you made your voices heard. You didn't let you didn't let up and you fought until there was change. This is why I was crying. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> On Wikipedia. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think I just wanted to bring this stuff up because I think like this is partially now her legacy, too. And right. it's at least nice that like they've become their own activists. So, yeah, it's very fitting that it's called the Marjorie. Yeah. Taking Stone after School. her a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my story. The roller coaster <laughs> of emotions. True roller Marjorie coaster. Stoneham Douglas. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I've got some more inspirational kids to tell you about in Ooh. our women who work section. <laughs> let's move over there. Let's Yeah. Let's bump over. We'll there. end on a high note. End the yes. entire pot on a high note. Excellent. Great. But that's a very inspirational story, and she seems like a really cool lady. So, awesome. so cool. Yeah. Work, 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 work. Okay, so. All right, let's do it. This week's Women Who Work is actually about the five girls who won the top five awards at um, the Broadcom Masters competition. Which oh, is, I saw something about yeah, this. Yeah, I think we might have tweeted about it, but I just wanted to give them a shout out. So the Broadcom Masters competition is the largest national science and tech competition for middle schoolers in the U.S. Nice. Yeah, where Masters stands for Math, Applied Science, Technology, and Engineering for Rising Stars. Nice. And so, let's see. Kids qualify for this competition by basically competing in statewide um, science fairs, you know, within their own state. Mm-hmm. And they, if their individual project places in the top 10% at their state science fair, they get to go to this national competition. Okay. But to win this national competition, their score is based 20% on their individual project and 80% on how good they are at working with a team to hmm. solve a series of science and engineering challenges, which is such a okay. cool 
I've never yeah. heard of a science fair like that. That's such a cool we idea. Get, we need to support people who can interact with others. Yes, totally. Not God, just, we need that in science. Not just like these single geniuses who, yeah. well, you know, what even is a genius? But like, you know, some people are, but a lot of people aren't. <laughs> They're just lucky. Yeah. Um, and the so, problems yeah. that we have today aren't going to be solved by one person. There's no. just no friggin' it's just, way. Yeah, everything's too big and too worldwide now, you know? Yeah. Um, Mr. Worldwide! <laughs> Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> They're back to, what, our second episode or something? Yeah, uh, it's such a good sh- callback. <laughs> to Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah, so the top five winners of this whole competition for middle schoolers were all girls and they're all 14 years old so the winner of the highest prize was elena glasser who engineered a way to get rid of blind spots in cars that was her individual project so she came up with the idea to put a camera that i mean it's really complicated but essentially it's like there's a camera that records the areas you can't see while driving, your blind spot, okay. you know? Yeah. And the recording plays through a projector onto a screen that's mounted over the passenger side roof support. It's hard to imagine. Uh-huh. But it's pretty ingenious because she, like, it's basically like you can just look to this little screen to see what's in your blind spot rather than having to turn around really like we usually would it's sort of like another little side mirror i would say Uh and what's also cool about it is that only the driver can see it because she figured out how to use a reflective fabric so that if you're in the passenger seat you don't have to watch this recording while it's happening or anything like that really like a cool invention yeah I've got some blind spot detection, and I love it so much. Yeah, I need a new car. I mean, I like my car still. It at least has giant windows, so. Yeah. Man, yeah. And let's see, I won't go into detail about the other top winners, but Lauren Ajiaga, she won for analyzing how ozone loss can affect plant growth. Sidora Claire won for, she came up with a way to mix so basically like you know how we're trying to go to mars right and yeah we're gonna yeah, yeah. have to if we want to actually colonize it we would have to build things there eventually which can be very heavy uh, mm-hmm. like bringing the materials to mars so she came up with a way where we could bring like a lightweight plastic to mars mix it with martian soil and it makes this incredibly strong brick Oh, shit. Yeah. So she, I mean, she and a friend, I think, like, kind of simulated what Martian soil would be like and then mixed Mm -hmm. it with a plastic that's not too heavy. So really cool idea, even just to design a cool new brick here on Earth or something, you know? Yeah. No, that's Um, awesome. Yeah. It's very cool, the idea of. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, Rachel Bergay, she designed a way to trap invasive spotted lanternflies, which are like destroying maple trees in the U.S. And Alexis McAvoy, she invented a filter that removes toxic heavy metals from drinking water. And so all of these girls had like these really incredible ideas. And then they also showed they were great at teamwork and solving problems in a group. And so... 
Um, my why are these fourteen-year-old girls having better dissertations? <laughs> I like, why is their stuff better than my dissertation? Shh! Don't tell anybody that. <laughs> <laughs> they're just, they're, you know, they're just in that creative, like, they're in that stage where you haven't read so many papers that you doubt mm-hmm. yourself, you know? Yeah. So you just kind of do things and contribute. And it's new because you're not overthinking it necessarily uh-huh. or like someone else oh. is already doing this or, yeah, you know, I think. Are you saying just, I should read less papers? Yeah, don't read papers. Just recreate <laughs> the wheel a lot. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so that my shout out goes to all of them this week for That's... being incredible and inspirational young scientists. Yeah, that is wonderful. I love it so much. Yeah. And really cool projects that yeah, I'm jealous. Yeah, totally. That... I know. They're awesome. I'm so jealous <laughs> of their minds. Yeah. <laughs> you have a good mind, too. Don't, don't get down on yourself. And all and all the time they have it in front of them <laughs> on this lo- earth. It's okay. You have time, too. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> this episode really just, like, I'm drained. Oh. <laughs> It's cool. We got we're we're done, you know. We got through it, and and we should come out of this with more inspiration from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas to just be yes. uh, these strong. Well, we can't be strong little ladies because we're too tall. But you're too strong, t- ladies. We're too old and too tall. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, yeah. thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. Thanks so much. Um, and thanks to everybody who filled out our survey. That mm-hmm. helped us a lot, and we appreciate it. Yeah. And you'll be getting stickers someday. Yeah, stickers too. coming at you. Yeah, stickers coming at you. And thanks always to Caitlin Friesen for her, her incredible art and to Artichoke for the awesome theme music. Yeah. And um, uh, and as always, go stimulate, go stimulate yourself. yourself. Bye. Bye. Circa 1820, she ran a fossil star.